What's up, coaches? Happy Memorial Day to you. Hope that you're getting to spend some time with the family today. And of course, taking some time to reflect on the freedoms we enjoy. Thanks to the ultimate sacrifice made by the men and women in our armed forces. This is KYPD. We are your home for all things defensive line play. And now, with it being Memorial Day, I'm sure a lot of you guys are going to be manning the grill today. And, and knowing that, we turn to you guys on Twitter to get your best tips and advice for grilling, smoking, and barbecuing. So before you turn on the gas or douse your charcoal with a whole bottle of lighter fluid or light your mesquite, check out these pointers from the experts themselves, our Twitter followers. Okay, so here's what we did. Uh, earlier in the week, throughout the question, hey, guys, you know, what are some, uh, what are some of your tips for Uh, for grilling, for smoking, for barbecuing, Uh, and and here's what we got. Of course, you guys didn't disappoint, so I'm going to read some of those pointers today. So let's first start with the preparation of your meat, okay? And my man, uh, Jeremy Hickman, and he can be found on Twitter, at Coach Boss Hog, he says, let steaks, and I'll go ahead and interject, say all meat, uh, let steaks get to room temperature before throwing them on the grill and tenderize both sides of your steak with a fork beforehand. Solid advice there. Uh, boss hog. All right. Now, what about marinades and seasoning? Well, Coach uh, Robert Irwin, who, who's been a guest on this podcast, he's helped, helped me co-host an episode. Uh, he also is the most interesting man maybe in high school football. Uh, Coach, Coach Irwin says, by the way, he can be found at Irwin Coach. He says, marinades before grilling are for people who can't grill and don't understand how spice combos work. Don't at me on this because you're wrong and I will cook you out of existence. Woo! Strong words from Coach Irwin today. We struck a nerve with Coach Irwin. I guess, you know, according to him, get those marinades out of here. And I will agree with him on that when it comes to steaks. I'm, I'm not a fan of just the sweet, syrupy, bagged marinades, you know, like the Jack Daniels stuff or the Casey Masterpiece stuff that you get from the store. Gross. Uh, however, I do think marinades for chicken or turkey, uh, I think that's okay. Uh, but but still, I'm I'm definitely with you, Coach Irwin, on the no sweet stuff seasoning. Um, I like especially with chicken, like some Italian dressing. Uh, I think you can do a lot with salt and pepper and seasoning salt. But anyway, I I got you, Coach Irwin, and thank you for being so passionate about our question today. Anyway, this brings me to my next tip from Coach Donald Randall, also a former guest on the podcast. He can be found on Twitter at Donald Randall, who says he's a fan of Worcestershire sauce on pork ribs and brisket. He also says no brown sugar in his rubs. He wants the savory flavor on meat and uses French's mustard as a rub before seasoning his brisket. I haven't done that before, uh, so definitely going to have to try that out. I, you know, I know Coach Randall wouldn't, wouldn't steer us wrong on that. Now, while we're talking about brisket, which is, if you're from Texas, brisket is a must. Okay, that's, that's definitely a staple. And, and Coach Scott Reed, which can be found on Twitter, at Coach S. Reed, uh, R-E-I-D, says when it comes to brisket, Keep it simple on the seasoning. He, he opts for a 45, 45, 10 uh, salt, coarse ground pepper, and garlic powder rub. Uh, he keeps it in the fridge for, keeps the brisket in the fridge for eight hours overnight. Um, and, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there because Coach Reed goes into great detail and actually talking about the preparation of his brisket. So if you want to find out the rest of his recipe for brisket, head over to our Twitter page, scroll on down, you'll find it. Um, or you can hit him up on Twitter uh, for Coach Reed's brisket recipe. Thank you so much, Coach Reed. Now, if you're doing ribs, another former guest on our podcast, Coach Paul Croft, he's got you covered on that. He says, let them get to room temperature for about three hours. 
Uh, and then you're going to peel that membrane off the back side. Put your rub on, get your smoker up to 260 degrees, and then the ribs go on for about two hours. And then another hour or so wrapped up. And then Coach starts rubbing those things down with barbecue sauce at that time. So there you go. Coach Croft is subscribing to the 3-2-1 method, you know, three hours of, to, to room temperature, two hours on the smoker, one more hour wrapped up. And that's a tried and true method that I've used before myself. And, and, and so I'm with you on that one, Coach Croft. Thank you. Now, finally, once you get that meat off the grill or smoker, Coach Salvia says that it's essential to let your steaks and really whatever it is you're cooking, let it rest and keep that stuff covered in foil. I promise you it's worth the wait. So there you go. There's the Keep Your Pads Down Memorial Day grilling tips. Now, look, I am no grilling expert like a lot of you guys. Okay, I love to grill, and we got a smoker for Christmas, and and we've been wearing that thing out over this quarantine. But so I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm just gonna offer this one piece of advice for you guys manning the grill today. Okay, no matter what it is you're throwing on there, here's here's my suggestion: you need to have a few brats or sausage links, uh, maybe some jalapeno poppers, something like that that you can throw on over on you know maybe on the corner, save some room. Uh, on your on your grill for those, and and here's why: throughout your cook, you're inevitably gonna 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 attract some lurkers, right? You're gonna have people lurking around your grilling area. Uh, maybe it's it's your neighbor who came over uninvited, and now he won't stop talking to you about his new lawnmower. Uh, maybe it's your loudmouth brother-in-law who keeps making passive-aggressive comments about your grilling abilities, uh, um, or or maybe it's one of the one of the neighborhood kids. Uh, who's, who's just hammering you with questions. Uh, well, well, there's no better way to shut them up than by throwing them a brat. They're happy, silent, you're happy, and it's just a win-win for everyone. So in all of your preparation uh, for, for today, when you're, when you're planning stuff to throw on the grill, save some room for some little appetizers, some things like that. You know, your wife comes out there, she wants to know how, how it's going, you know, what's, what's it looking like, and you just, hey, you give her one of those, and, and, and she's happy, you're happy. Your day goes much more smoothly. All right, so now you should be good to go. Okay, I, I think you guys can take it from here. I trust you. So throw on your favorite pair of jorts, lace up those icy white Nike Monarchs, and go get after it today, baby. Hey, and if you're listening to today's episode while you're grilling, even better, take a picture and tag us. I'd love to see those pictures. Okay, so let's get to today's guest. Our, our, our guest today is coming to us from way out in West Texas, from the University of Texas Permian Basin. Today, we're talking with Coach Chris Minio, Associate Head Coach, Co-Defensive Coordinator, and Defensive Line Coach for the Falcons. Coach Minio will enter his fourth season at UT Permian Basin as Associate Head Coach and Co-Defensive Coordinator this year. Prior to coming to UTPB, Coach Minio spent seven seasons coaching the defensive line and spent four years as Recruiting Coordinator at Tarleton State. A four-year defensive lineman at the University of Texas, El Paso, Coach Minio signed, signed as an undrafted free agent with the Washington Redskins after college before returning to UTEP as a student assistant in 2006. He became a graduate assistant for the Miners in the spring of 2007 before heading to Tarleton in January of 2008. While at UTEP, Coach Minio recorded 188 tackles for the Miners, including 84 solo stops, and finished his career second all-time in sacks with 16 and a half. As a junior, the Odessa, Texas native was named first-team All-Western Athletic Conference as a defensive tackle after collecting 50 stops, including 39 solo tackles, leading the defensive line in total stops. He tied for the team lead with eight sacks and was named the WAC Defensive Player of the Week against San Jose State. 
He was named to the all-whack freshman team chosen by the Sporting News. So what I'm trying to say is, not only can Coach Minio coach, but back in the day, he could play some ball, too. Today, Coach Minio and I talk about the Falcons' attack front out of their 4-2-5 defense, including the roles and responsibility of his guys uh, up front. Then we get into what a typical week of preparation looks like for Coach Minio and his guys. And then finally, we close out the episode with me asking Coach Minio, who has the best athletes in Texas? Is it West Texas? Is it East Texas? You know I have my opinions on that question, and we'll hear what Coach Minio has to say about that. Anyway, Coach Minio and I cover a lot of ground today, so let's go ahead and get to it. Here is Coach Chris Minio on episode number 61 of KYPD. Coach Minio, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me. Well, yeah, Coach, we've had a we got a ton of great stuff to get to today, and I'm really excited uh, to talk about this. But first, you have a, a really interesting background growing up there uh, in Odessa, playing at Permian High School, which is a program that just is, is renowned nationwide. And now you're back coaching college ball there. So tell us what it was like growing up and playing ball in Odessa. Yes, sir. So I moved out. My dad worked in the oil field. So we moved out to Odessa in 1984, I believe. So I was two years old and, you know, got to grow up in that late 80s era, watching uh, guys like Boyd Hill, Stoney Case, and uh, some of those other guys play, win a national championship in uh, 89. You know, growing up out there, the the biggest thing you want to do is get that P on your helmet and, uh, and be able to go play at Rattler Stadium. So uh, just being able to grow up out there and, and kind of grow up in that rich history and, you know, travel somewhere and you got a Mojo shirt on and you're on vacation and uh, everybody can identify Mojo to Odessa, Texas or Permian to Odessa, Texas. So that was just a neat deal being able to uh, play at a historic program like that in high school. For those of us who, you know, we've seen the movie, you know, we, we've maybe observed your program from afar. Talk about, you mentioned that word mojo and what that means. Talk about what that is and, and, and sum that up as best you can for those of us who are, uh, didn't grow up there in Odessa. Yeah, so, so for me, mojo, you know, was always kind of that black mystique. Um, and I think when Permian used to come out in those all-black uniforms with the white helmet, the black P, uh, everybody in the stands was wearing black. It kind of just brought on that mystique. Yeah. And it was just a, a little rallying call. And so. Uh, for me growing up, I remember hearing that from the time I was five years old and until I graduated in 2001 and going back to the games. Now you just hear that mojo and it just starts getting those goosebumps going, and, uh, hair standing up on the back of your neck. So best way I can explain it, it's just kind of like that black mystique of, uh, you know, no matter who you're going against or, or who they have on that team, that uh, you're going to be prepared and you can go out there and give them a fight. When you you talked about you know as a kid always wanting to you know you couldn't wait till you were to got to high school and and you know have that P on your helmet and that's probably the story for a lot of kids you know I grew up on the other side of the state in a program that in the, at the time when I was a kid was 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 a state ranked program um, and, and and doing really well and so it was kind of the same experience not not obviously the same history as Permian but you know that that part is 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 true you know any town that you go to there's little kids wanting to be wanting to be a part of that high school program. 
But talk about how what the differences were in Odessa. Was there was there always is there a, a certain expectation there or pressure that comes with playing football there? Uh, I don't know if it's a certain expectation. I think all across the state, you know, kids have those expectations coming up. But uh, I just remember being in, especially in my seventh grade year, and uh, those high school coaches are coming over to kind of watch you. And, you know, by the time you get to high school, you realize you ran the same play for yeah. seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. And now you're in uh, a sophomore in high school. And so now, you know, it all kind of starts adding up. And the, the great thing I love about Texas, no matter where you go, it's kind of like what you said is, uh, you know, especially being a coach now and going to recruit, you see those kids where they're, you know, you're at Stephenville High School and they got the, the yellow jacket stuff going on or you go up to the Metroplex and watch a Duncanville or out to the Houston area, those kids have that school on uh, from the time they're five until they get through high school. So that's one thing I love about Texas is, you know, those kids grow, grow up dreaming of playing for that program. And uh, I think that's really builds a tradition. And I think that's what separates the state of Texas from everybody else is the tradition from each school and uh, just being able to say, I played for that high school. And you got that yeah. letter jacket and homecoming comes around and you always go back. Uh, I think to me that's kind of the, the the best thing about Texas high school football. Now we, we talked about this in, in previous conversations, but really when you were coming through Permian High School, late '90s, early 2000s, uh, you know, in in the time of the, you know the movie or the book or when the when the book Friday Night Lights was was depicted, you know, that was really the heyday of West Texas football. West Texas was the epicenter of high school football, and and, and as you were coming through, that was kind of the the end of that era. Uh, you know, you t- we t- we talked before how you, you know you played with, with Roy Williams, who uh, you know obviously played at, uh, started at Texas and played for the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys, and you played against Cedric Benson, the late Cedric Benson, uh, over at Midland Lee, who uh, who you know obviously played for Texas and the Chicago Bears among some other teams, and uh, and then you talked about we talked about Shad Williams, who was playing over at Andrews, and there were some other guys just all out there in West Texas. Um, you know, just just talk about that and what it was like playing with those guys and against those guys and, and um, you know, just that experience. Yeah, you know, and I'll start off with Shad Williams because a lot of people don't know about him. He came from Andrews High School and uh, went to Texas Tech for, I think, three years and then finished up at Alabama as a running back and never got to play him in football, but we played baseball against each other. And then uh, having Roy Williams and, you know, watching him from the time we were 10, 12 years old and, that was a guy that at that age, you knew you could play that. That guy was going to play big time football somewhere, playing NFL. And I always attribute uh, me being able to get recruited out of high school is playing with someone like that because uh, when you have someone like that on your team, he's going to expose you to everybody else. Right. Um, and then you get to play against a Cedric Benson, Eric Winston. Uh, another name some Texas people might know is uh, Lance Nix, who played for the Texas Rangers was also the starting quarterback over there at Midland High. So uh, I always like to say my little error out here was some of the best athletes I ever played against and uh, best athletes of Permian Basin or the West Texas area scene. But uh, it, it's I think it kind of just goes in those errors of when I played, that was the best error. When he played, that was the best error. So I feel like it was a good error for, for this area with uh, athletes. And uh, I think it kind of just says – a about this area for even as spread out as it is and as small as some of the towns might be, uh, you know, just my little time here, that's four NFL guys that played out here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, so from there, you, you talked about how you know you got a chance to play college football and, and you played uh, over in El Paso at, at UTEP and 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 you know we're we're pretty good. You were you were all uh, conference as a freshman. Uh, you're second all time there in, in sacks and uh, even in, signed a free agent deal with the with the Redskins. So just talk about your experience going through UTEP and then that experience of of signing with the Redskins and getting to experience a preseason camp with those guys. Yeah, so I, I signed with UTEP in 2001, and uh, the 2000 team out there had won the shared the whack, I believe, with TCU. And so when I came in there, it was on a you know that team was coming off a great year. I think it was one of the two or three conference championships they had won. 2001, 2002, 2003 went through some rough times, uh, and it was more of Coach Gary Nord is trying to build a program, redshirt a bunch of guys and kind of build the depth and after the 2003 season uh, unfortunately he got fired and uh you know unfortunate for for the miners out there we got mike price that had just got let go at alabama so uh 2004 and 2005 was you know some of the best years of football that i played uh got ranked in the top 25 uh, in 2004 which is hasn't happened too much for uh for a utep team yeah and so just being out in El Paso, and the one thing I'll say, if, if, if people don't, uh, probably won't believe me, when the Sun Bowl sold out and you got 48,000, 49,000 people out there, that's one of the best uh, atmospheres that you can play in. Uh, you know, that, that stadium sits in the in the side of a mountain, so uh, there might be 49,000 people there, but it seems like there's 80,000 people yelling. Uh, and so that was a good time for me. Uh, and then, uh, you know, was fortunate enough to uh, – garner enough respect to uh, have a chance in the NFL. Uh, you know, I was hoping I'd be a, a draft pick, but things didn't, didn't quite work out that way. So I went through the trial process and uh, had a chance to sign a free agent deal with the Washington Redskins and uh, got to play three or four preseason games. And uh, as Coach Price would tell me, I was there long enough for a cup of coffee. Yeah. After that, yeah. services weren't needed anymore. Yeah. Uh, so you've already mentioned a few of your coaches. Let, let's go back and just talk about some of those guys who really influenced you both as a coach now and as a person coming up. Yeah, you know, the first one I'll start with is uh, my high school coach, Randy Mays. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I went through a coaching change in high school. Uh, he got let go after my uh, junior year. And so uh, just a great man, uh, showed up to work every day, very loyal. Uh, and he's he's working for the Adivis tackling yeah. company now. Yep. Uh, that certifies all the UIL uh, coaches. Um, and then in college, uh, Coach Mike Price, uh, one of the best people I've ever seen at getting guys to believe in something so minute, so childish, but uh, you just buy into it. And great motivator, uh, someone that uh, I can still call to this day and, uh, you know, he'll recommend me for a job or uh, just to bounce ideas off or you know, whatever I need. Uh, and probably my defensive line coach, uh, Ikaika Malloy, that I had in my last two years, uh, just kind of really taught me that, you know, being able to coach with passion and fire on the field and then get into the meeting room and uh, do more teaching and not so much yelling and constantly on people. But hey, if we're going to be out of practice, we're going to fire it up and we're going to get after it. We're in this meeting room and now it's time to teach and learn football. So then talk about how, how you arrived at the decision to become a football coach. Was that something that you always knew you wanted to do, or was it because of those guys that you know, that kind of made you want to become a coach? 
Uh, I always knew, even when I was in high school, that uh, I wanted to be around football. And then my senior year of uh, college uh, had an ankle injury, ended up having to get surgery after the fourth game. And when that happened, Coach Price and uh, Coach Moy, defense line coach, called me in and said, hey, we want you at the meetings. You know, come up here in the office, help us break down film. Uh, we think you have a future in coaching. If it's something that you want to do, if the football part doesn't work out. Uh, once I talked to those two guys and I started sitting in the meeting room and seeing everything that went into a game plan or getting ready for practice or the recruiting part of it, um, at that point, I kind of, you know, I knew that's uh, what I wanted to do when the time came. So uh, those guys right there definitely influenced me. And, uh, you know, the biggest tour I get out of coaching right now, the wins and losses are great. And obviously, that's how we all keep our jobs. But, uh, you know, my favorite moments, and I tell players now all the time, my favorite moments be able to call, you know, so-and-so, hey, coach, you know, just buy a new trucks, I got a job, or just got married, or we bought a house, or I'm mowing the lawn, or, or whatever it is. And uh, those those parts right there, you know, makes the job worth it. And uh, even when you got those tough seasons that you go through where you might be 2-9 and nine or whatever it is, you get those phone calls and, all right, well, we're winning in some part of life. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, I think that, you know, you've been coaching, uh, I think I think you said 13 years. Uh, and, and I think one thing that's really unique, especially for a college coach, is that you really only made three stops. And one of those was, as you mentioned, being a you know, GA at UTEP. Uh, and then you were at Tarleton for a while, and now you're at U, uh, University of Texas Permian Basin uh, over there in Odessa. Talk about some of your, your highlights from those stops and then uh, what it's like now coming full circle and coaching again in the town where you grew up. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll start off by saying I've been very fortunate. Uh, I haven't had to pack up and move the family uh, on someone else's terms. It's it's always been on mine. So that part of it's been been great. Uh, you know, I've never had to interview for a job. I've always been able to uh, kind of someone's brought me with them. And uh, when I left UTEP, uh, there was a guy there I GA'd with uh, that had to take a GA job because he got fired. And he ended up taking the D.C. job at Tarleton took me with me to, to Tarleton, uh, was fortunate enough to win two conference championships there with those guys. Uh, and then with, when Jesse Kerrigan got the head job out here, again, was able to bring me with them, got an elevate, uh, elevated in a title. Uh, so that part of it's been, been un- unbelievable, just being able to, uh, you know, be able to go to different places. And uh, now that I have kids, it's really good to know that you know we can be at a spot and and be able to stay there no doubt i mean you're exactly right that is an extremely rare but also really fortunate thing for you and your family to be able to you know be somewhere and and feel like you can put down some roots and so then when you're when you're out now out and about in odessa does it feel a little weird you know being back in the town where where you came through as as a as a kid and as a high school kid uh what's that experience like now coaching back in odessa yeah, so the weirdest thing is I didn't get to come back to Odessa for 12 years because my parents moved in 2003. So from 2003 until we came back in 15 was a you know a 12-year span. I never stepped foot in Odessa. So uh, coming back now and seeing how when they had the, the oil boom in the late 2000s, being able to see how Odessa's grown, uh, how many more people are here. And, you know, strangely enough, I don't run into too many people. So 
it's uh that part has been it's been kind of weird but uh you know being able to step on step over to Permian High School and go recruit those kids again has been uh unbelievable being able to look up at that sign and see that you put some work in and uh, those numbers are up there has been great and then you know the first time I st uh, stepped up step foot back into Rattler Stadium uh to to watch a, a Permian game recruiting you know again just kind of Goosebump started coming yeah, in and yeah. telling some of the other coaches this is what we used to walk down at. This is, you know, where Ward caught that pop ball over there over his uh, over his shoulder. So that part of it's been unbelievable just to come back home and, you know, run into some people we haven't seen in a long time. But, uh, you know, now it's been able to take my kids around to some places. Uh, hey, this is where I went to junior high. This is where I went to high school. Right. Uh, this is our old house right here. This is an old house. So. That part of it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, that is that is cool, and and I would imagine that it really, it really helps in recruiting. Being a guy that's from there, and and, and now you've come back, and and be able to relate to those kids, and know you know what kind of kids you're you're looking for, and where to look for kids, and and, and all those things, and just knowing the nuances of 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 West Texas, and 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 all those things, I can imagine that that can only help you when you're out recruiting. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, and and I tell a lot of these kids out here now when I go recruit them. Uh, you know, U UT Permian Basin wasn't an option for me. Uh, we didn't have football then. Uh, you know, so if you're going to play Division II football, you're going to go to West Texas, Angelo State, or Parma, the schools that we saw out here recruiting-wise. And so, you know, for for me, what I tell them is, hey, this is a great option if Division One doesn't work out. And on top of that, those, you know, 20,000 people that you play in front of on Friday nights, you know, let's try to get those guys out here and play in front of those same 20,000 on a Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I wouldn't say recruiting a West Texas kid's different, um, but you're, I think knowing the type of kid that you're going to recruit out here and be able to relate to him a little bit of, I grew up out here, I know what you're going through if your dad works in the oil field or uh, whatever it may be. I think that definitely helps. But, uh, you know, the best thing on top of it is, be able to bring kids from around the state out here and be able to explain to them what that West Texas mentality is, uh, what the city's about, and, and be able to tell them more from a personal experience than, you know, when you got to study the city of Odessa or whatever it is, and you're almost reading off paper instead of, hey, this is what it's about, and this is what, this is how I know what it's about. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's jump into some football stuff now and talk about, you know, when when you go to Tarleton uh, and you, you you walk in that position room for the first time, you know, and 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 now those are your guys. That's your room. You know, talk about how you developed your coaching style, your progression for the D line, and and just some things that that you did to kind of establish yourself as a defensive line coach. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the biggest thing I did, and I think a lot of it we do as coaches is early on in our career we kind of mimic or play off of who our coach was. Yep. And, you know, through the whole process over the last 13 years, I've had to learn that, you know, I've got to take this from him, but I've got to still be myself because if you're not, those kids will see right through you pretty quick, um, I think, at any level. Uh, but when I stepped in that uh, mini room for the first time, the biggest thing I tried to do was uh, let those guys know, you know, whatever you've done here in the past, uh, you know, we're going to start over from new because I don't know you guys. I don't know what you've done. and. You know, at that time, Tarleton had been real successful, and they still are. So uh, I think the biggest thing is, is you know, you just got to go in there and 
uh, we, we still tell these kids all the time, you know, you're not going to trust me until you know I care about you and I love you. And uh, once the kids understand that, you can coach them as hard as you want. Uh, you know, in my opinion, they'll run through a brick wall for you. But uh, that was the biggest thing I had to do was just get in there because they had had a, a good D-line coach in Todd Abichad before me uh, that's been Division One since I left uh, Tarleton. So I had to get in there and, and slowly prove who I was. And uh, I think the biggest thing, these kids are always going to kind of read up on your past and where you've been and what you've done and uh, how you can help them out. So uh, I had to just get in there and, uh, you know, first let them know I love and care about them. And you have to show them that takes time. And uh, I think once they understand that, you can, you know, they're going to trust you and they're going to work for you. When you are a young coach and you're coming in that situation and, and you're coming into a room where they did have a really strong coach or a really strong culture uh, beforehand, how do you avoid that trap of just mimicking the guys that you've been around? And, and how do you kind of forge your own identity as a coach? You know, you talked about, you know, making sure those kids know that you care about them. And, but what does that look like, like when you're out on the field coaching or in the film room breaking down film or, or watching, you know, uh, putting in a game plan with your guys? What's that look like? Yeah, you know, the the first thing I think it starts off with is um, when these guys ask you a question, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. Uh, because when we got there, the D.C. that brought me out there with them, that I had a good understanding of the defense, he left after about three weeks. And so, again, a new D.C. in there. So going through spring ball, I felt like I understood the defense well, but I'd get those questions of, hey, Coach, why are we doing this? And I had to learn it's okay, it's okay to say, I don't know. And so you kind of put yourself in a vulnerable situation sometimes. Uh, and I'll get the answer for you, though, and you can go get that answer for them. Uh, and then on the field, isn't much different than I was when I was playing. You know, I, I love football. Uh, and so when I get out there, you kind of get those juices flowing again and you get excited. And so when those guys make a big play, you're the first one to jump on their helmet. Yeah. I think that's the, the biggest thing I learned from – uh, just growing through the, the whole coaching profession is it's easy to be that guy that's that's not right, that's not right, and always telling them what's wrong. And you almost come to that of uh, expecting them that, well, not expecting them to make that play, but uh, it's okay to tell them a great job too and jump on their helmet and uh, pat them on the butt. Yeah, no doubt. So talk about some what you believe, in your opinion, are some of the most important skills that, that D linemen have to be great at. You know, in the perfect world, I think we'll always, as a D-line coach, we always want, always want those guys that have some length to them and long guys that can bend. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you're in the same position I'm in sometimes is, you know, not that I get what's walking through the door like, like you guys are going to get all the time. But, uh, you know, we're not going to always get that guy that's going to go to UT or Oklahoma that's going to have those measurables of uh, what you want. So for me, just off the hoof, I want a tough, gritty guy. Uh, that when you turn on play one and shows that great effort, when you turn on play 80 or whatever it is, they're going to have that great effort. Uh, you know, and then the biggest thing I look for, especially with D tackles, is guys that have good hip explosion, good knee bend, can play with violent hands. Um, and then those guys on the edge is, you know, not so much that guy that can run a 4-5 in a straight line, but can he run that 4-5 when he's making the bench to the quarterback? And so, you know, you, you start throwing those in as, you know, tough, gritty guys, inside or outside guys that can bend and guys that are violent with their hands. Yeah, and, and you talk about those things, and those are all really 
uh, just foundational, fundamental things that that uh, you're right that a defensive lineman has to have, and it's good uh, to hear that you know coming from a college coach because I think sometimes that we can get caught up in all the other stuff, but it really comes down, it boils down to those things. And if we as high school coaches can make sure that our guys are really good at those things, then we're going to put them in the best chance that they can be to be successful. Now, whether that's for us on Friday night, whether that's one day getting getting a scholarship to go play somewhere, you know, whatever it may be. But it's those, you know, focusing on those skills, you know, um, violent hands, explosive, you know, uh, being being uh, great, um, being able to bend, hip explosion, all those things. Uh, that's that's great to hear that that those are the things that that you know a college coach is looking for when they're evaluating evaluating their kids. Let's talk about your defense over there at uh, at UTPB. You guys are an attack style four two five. So talk about that, just the roles and responsibilities of your guys up front. Yeah, and so kind of where the four two five came from, we learned it is um, I played in a four three at UTEP, and when I got thrown up in the new I came in with Terry Fenton. He came from uh, Midwest State, and they've been real successful up there. And as we started Tarleton, I started looking back at what we did at, at UTEP my junior and senior year, and I realized uh, this is the same defense. We just called it a four three. Yeah. Yeah. But how we were playing, it was a four-two-five. The bodies that we had on the field were uh, four-two-five bodies. Um, and so the biggest thing that we do with the four-two-five that I think gives us an advantage is, you know, we can take that guy that might not be three hundred pounds inside, but you know, we can put him out on an edge, put him in the gap, and let him attack upfield as a as a B gap rusher or an a, a uh, as an A gap rusher. Um, and so I think it gives us, you know. The ability to recruit smaller guys if we need to, be able to get them out on edges, force that offensive lineman to have to move his feet a little bit, uh, try to block him in space. But the biggest thing it does for our linebackers is it creates one-on-one matchups across the board because, you know, if they're going to stay there and double that three technique or that two wide, those linebackers are shooting the gap and they're running fast. Um, and once that guy gets through there and makes a couple tackles in the backfield, now it frees those guys up, up front. Um, and so, you know, like I said, we're going to play out on edges. Um, and so when we put it in, like for a three technique, for example, um, you know, I'm, I tell them as tight as, as tight as you're going to get, it's going to be tip to tip on that guy. And you can get as wide as you want to out into the B gap if you want. Just don't start shaming that tackle. Um, and that, that was another thing I kind of learned through this whole coaching experience is, you know, you can't treat every guy the same. So that guy that, he might have to play tip to tip. He can't play on the gap because he might be a tip slow or a step slow. Yeah. Um, kind of do the same thing with our defensive end. You know, I got this long guy. Well, he doesn't need to play a heavy five all the time. Let's put him out a little bit because he's going to have more length. It's going to be able to cover up space. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so you talked about your inside guys, or, or really right there, you're, you're talking about your, your, your three tech. How are you playing your nose uh, in, the, in, in yeah. your front? Yeah, so the nose we play almost exactly the same. He's going to be no tighter than tip to tip on that guard as a two eye, uh, one technique. You know, kind of a different terminology where everybody uses. Um, but same thing, he can play it all the way into the gap if he wants. Uh, the thing that gets tricky with that two eye is, is probably what everybody's seen is, you know, which his aiming point can be with his hands because you know that center can be on you just as quick as uh, the guard. So we still try to play through the guard as much as we can. Um, starts getting a little, you know, tricky when you start getting that that quick combo or that centers on you right now. So, you know, if we need to tighten those guys up, we'll tighten them up a little bit. If uh, we need to keep them more in the gap, you know, we'll play more in the gap. And then 
So all that comes into, you know, game plan preparation. Like the center's a weaker guy on that offensive line, then we might shade it a little bit more and uh, playing from the shade. So I'm just curious, in a loose alignment like that, especially with your interior guys, do you find yourself, you know, and maybe this is the idea, but you find yourself getting double teamed a lot because that's going to make it, you know, pretty simple for those guys to combo, you know, that guard and center or the uh, guard and tackle, whatever, to work up. Is that, you know, are, are you wanting those guys to get double teams every time and occupy two guys? Is that why you're having them line up so loose? You know, what, what I've seen working with it and, and playing in it, or not playing in it, but coaching it for the last 12 years now is uh, for, for that offensive lineman to double team you, they're going to have to cut those splits way down. Yeah. Um, and so as we start getting those splits cut down, we might have it tighten our shade up a little bit. Um, but, you know, it puts a lot of stress on those offensive linemen. And how I always teach it is, you know, if, if you get knocked back like you should in, in a perfect world, then you're not going to get a double team because those guys have to be hip to hip to get that double team and, and drive you off the ball. So, um, you know, early on when we're installing it, especially with those young kids that we have coming in, is you know we're going to focus everything off a a, a great get off penetrate the line of scrimmage you know and and when i first put it in i only give them three blocks you're gonna get a down block or that zone away and get the zone coming at you or you're gonna get a high hat and once they start understanding that that zone coming at me now that might turn into a double team but if i can open up that shoulder and get upfield the double team's done at that point. So yeah, yeah. try to keep it simple. And, and then as we start progressing, especially with those young kids, okay, now i got a double team. All right, now let's work on how we're going to split this double team, how we're going to play the double team. You talked about get-off being so important and getting knocked back. And, and I'm, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be an attack front, then, then get-off is at a premium. Um, talk about how you're coaching, coaching that up, how you're, how you're coaching get-off and step and punch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so our first day of camp, when we get to uh, two days, we might spend three or four periods on get off. And, you know, it all starts off with getting in that great stance, and it's going to be uh, an attack stance. We're going to have some weight on the hand. Uh, we're going to have that butt up in the air, and we're going to be locked in on that football. And uh, I don't make them go a long distance. We usually go about three to four, three to four yards. But, you know, I want it as hard as they can get. And until we get that that part of it right, we're going to do get off and, you know, we'll let all of some of the other stuff, you know, wait until uh, down the road. But I want them to understand how important that get off, get off is because that's what sets up the rest of our defense. Um, and so what I'll tell them is you want a pass rush mentality of I'm going to react to the run on the way to the quarterback. That doesn't mean we come off and we're swatting and swimming right now. Right. I want that mentality. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And that's uh, – you know, something out from watching a bunch of uh, Rod, uh, John, sorry, watching a bunch of uh, John Tierley's tape uh, when he was with the Colts is, and the best analogy I ever heard was, you know, it's like having a gun in your house. You don't want to wait for someone to break in to then load that gun and get ready to shoot it. You want that mentality of that thing's loaded and it's ready to go. So when I do get the pass, now I'm, I'm just reacting to the set I'm getting. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love that mentality, and 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 definitely believe in that. And and man, well, let's shoot first and ask questions later to carry out your gun analogy. So so when you're talking about get off, how are you coaching up? You know, step and hands are those. You know, does one come before the other? Or are they simultaneous? How are you coaching that up? Yeah, so I'll start off by saying, you know, anybody that's going to teach a style, and if if I do a clinic talk, which I've done a couple, 
always say you have to have a head coach and a defensive coordinator that believes in it because, you know, you're going to have a guy that's going to jump off sides. If he's that hair trigger to go, yeah, uh, it's going to yeah. happen. And yeah. you, you know, you don't want it to happen when it's, you know, fourth and short. Yeah. But, you know, it's going to happen. Um, and it's just getting those guys to understand. I got to lock in on that football. I've got to, you know, be lazy and on it. So when it moves, I can go. Um, but, you know, I always te- teach the first step first. Um, I know a lot of guys teach a six-inch power step. Um, I'm more of teaching, you know, I'm going to replace my hand with that back foot. Uh, and so when we initially do get offs, and this was something I got from uh, Rod Marinelli, used with the Bucks, was, you know, I want you to claw grass like you're, yeah. you know, running a 40. And, you know, them just understanding that, you know, where those, the my hip angle has to be, where those pads have to be. Uh, I'm clawing grass and getting off. And then once they start understanding that, then we'll get over on the sled. Uh, we'll start bringing our hands with it. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I teach a progression, whether it's right or wrong, just what I believe in and uh, what we believe in over here. So uh, that's how we kind of start the progression is the get off first. I don't really care about the hand shooting. I want, you know, the, the bottom half going. And then we start teaching the top half after that. Where are they? Where are you coaching them up to place their hands? Is that something you just, you know, chest plate, or are you more specific? Or you know, some guys are really super uh, detailed where they where they want those hands, and some not. So where where do you fall on that? Yeah. So my initial aiming point when we teach is I want my inside hand down that sternum, and I want my outside hand hand I call it the anchor or on that outside shoulder, whatever shoulder I'm lined up on. If I'm that two eye, it might be the uh, inside shoulder, uh, but I want that one hand shooting at the sternum, the other one on the anchor. Uh, because when we teach, we, we're trying to teach those guys, I want to open up that shoulder uh, that my alignment's on, whether it's a three, a two eye, or a five technique. And so, you know, for me, that's where I'm my aim point with the hands. Um, again, I, I've been around those guys that, you know, I want this hand exactly here. I want this one exactly here. And for me, one thing I've learned, and again, we're all different. We all coach different kids is, Sometimes you get so into detail that you can see that kid locking up of, man, I didn't get that hand exactly right here. I didn't get this yeah. hand exactly yep. right here. Yep. And now you're creating that robot. And for, for us, we want those kids playing fast. So, um, you know, I always tell them, you know, uh, two things that are going to get you in trouble are your eyes and feet. Yeah. Um, if you're not looking at what you're supposed to be looking at or your feet aren't going where you're supposed to be going, that's going to get you in trouble. So, again, always start with the feet and then we bring those hands, sternum and shoulder. Being an attack front defense, I'm sure, you know, you guys are super aggressive, flying upfield, getting upfield, and, and, and I'm not saying that, you, you know, you guys are just running, you know, you're pass rushing every time, or you're, just, you're just flying upfield off the line of scrimmage. But, you know, when you, have, when you do get an, an aggressive defensive line like that, I'm sure there's, that, that offenses are going to do some things to sort of stymie that get off, whether it be with some draws or screen game or maybe some traps. So what are some things that you see, you know, that you, that you tend to see out of offenses a lot to sort of counter your aggressiveness up front yeah you know the first thing you're always going to get especially if you're, if you're not very disciplined up front which uh you know i've had groups before that you know early on whether it's spring ball or early in camp aren't aren't a disciplined group yet and so the first thing you're gonna get is obviously, obviously a snap count yeah uh they're gonna try to get you jump off sides uh and then we we do a drill uh we just call it a, a reaction drill uh, and we do it with get off so we'll start off and uh, I'll give them, you know, if I have someone to help me, I'll snap the ball and I'll be about two yards off the ball and I'll give them low hat either way, right or left. And I want to see those guys put that foot in the ground and, 
uh, get flat down the line of scrimmage and kind of eliminate what we call that fish hook. Uh, and then we'll give them pass off of it or, uh, you know, the biggest thing I'm looking for that is, and really all the drills that go with it, is I don't want to see them coming off the ball just, you know, chopping their feet, kind of waiting for them. I want them truly reacting to it. Uh, and then we'll give them screen and draw off of it where I'll start backpedaling back, going one way, and uh, they got to react to that draw or screen. Yeah, yeah. I just can imagine, you know, again, you talked about you have to have a defensive coordinator and head coach who are bought into that because – you know, it is. I've been there where it's a it's a double edged sword where you get these guys so hair trigger that they that 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 you know jumping off sides can be an issue. What are some things besides just working in practice that you do to kind of help that? Do you back your guys up any off the off the ball, or how 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 do you how do you coach that up to where that doesn't become an issue? Yeah, the the biggest thing is especially an individual. Anytime we're hitting the sled, anytime we're doing get offs, uh, really any drill that we do, I don't I don't like to do anything off just sound. Yeah. Uh, now, I'll have some barking going on out there where I'll be sim- simulating snap counts. I'll get right by their ear and be yelling. Just anything that's trying to get them to lose focus on the football. Um, and that's kind of where we started at. And, you know, the other thing that, again, and this stuff I've learned, I can't remember who I learned it from, was. Um, don't do anything off the set because now you're training them to listen to that sound instead of focusing on right the movement part of it. So even when we're working, you know, disengaged drills where we're already locked up, you know, I make them do it off a uh, a fill of that offensive lineman moving uh, to where they're not nothing's off the sound. Everything's off some right. sort of movement, right, or on their own. All right. How much slanting and twist games do you guys do? And and you know, how do you coach that technique up? Yeah, so just the true slanting up front, uh, we'll do a little bit uh, more so with our inside guys and a little with our, our outside guys. Um, you know, teaching the slant step, again, I was brought up, especially early in my career in high school, uh, if I'm going to slant, then I want to take this 45-degree step, you know, where I'm going, toe-pointed forward, I'm going to aim here, and then ricochet in. When I started trying to coach that, because I got coached that way in college as well, you know, I found you can see those guys, especially when you start studying. Now I'm thinking about, okay, 45 degree step, toe forward, and uh, then you're slowing them down. So for me, I just give them aiming points. Hey, this is where I want to get to. Um, and so I always tell them to key, and probably like everybody else, I'm looking at that lineman uh, near to where I'm going. Uh, and it might be if I'm the three techniques laying inside, I got to be looking at that center's hip. So that's where I want my aiming point to be is that center's hip. Now, if that guy comes at me, now I got to be able to uh, ricochet off of him with my hand hands. All right. Um, and then as we kind of get going and, and we can get in the film room, you know, now I'll start coaching that step a little bit more. But early on, you know, I want to see where that step's going to be because, again, each guy's going to be different. You might have that long guy who can take a little bit longer step and be okay. You yeah. might have a guy that can bend a little bit more and get away with a little bit, you know, a step that may not be as perfect. Yeah. Um, but, again, I want those guys playing fast. And, and so I'll kind of give them aiming point. We'll work an individual underneath their shoot. Uh, and, you know, once we kind of see where that step's at, especially once we get in a live situation, okay, now, hey, look at that toe. That's pointing way far to the side. Now you're going to cross over and, and get right out of that gap. So we got to yeah. get a little bit more vertical. And I think those guys kind of understand that part of it a little bit more instead of, 45-degree step, 45-degree step. 
Yeah. So, but you are definitely wanting them to to get upfield and 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 reclaim some ground with that first step. Correct. It's not a it's not a flat uh not a flat lateral step. No, I don't want a flat lateral step unless we're in our some of our zone blitz game to now where I got a I call it a long stick. Yeah, it might be a five technique having a long stick to the yeah. a gap. Um, I still want a little bit of vertical presence in that step to where I'm still getting upfield. So in your conference, you know, you're a, you guys are in a really tough Division II uh, conference there in, in the uh, Lone Star Conference. You know, what's a scheme or run game concept that you see a lot that you feel like, you know, just defenses in general must have an answer for when facing today's offenses, particularly those in your conference? Yeah, I'll tell you the first one that, uh, again, we were real lucky at Tarleton with the defensive coordinator we had uh, because – he had seen the option a whole uh, quite a bit when he was coming up through college and in high school, and so he had a good understanding of stopping it. And you know, we'll play Eastern New Mexico once a year, and they're still you know running the true triple uh, beer scheme. And for a lot of our guys that haven't seen that coming out of high school, because you came from uh, a six A high school or five A high school, you may not see that as much. Um, you know, it's trying to teach those guys how to play the option, whether you get the trap or they're getting that veer, and, and now the guy's cutting or they're scrambling and, and doing all that stuff. So uh, I'll say by far that's the hardest scheme or run game that, that we have to prepare to stop year to year. Um, but the one thing fortunate, and it's made us as a young defensive staff have to learn is, uh, you know, you're going to see your true spread that's going to have the run game spread with it in our conference. Uh, you're going to see the pro-style offenses where they're going to get an 11, 12, 21. Uh, 22 some, and, and you got to stop that run game. You're going to see the triple. Uh, you're going to see the true air raid stuff to where uh, they're really going to put those guys out on the island. So uh, for for us, we love it because you're going to get to see everything throughout the year, and it's, you've got to adjust every every week. You can't just be that same game plan week to week. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that is that is a, a lot of stuff that you have to be ready for. I'm curious, you know, when you're facing a team like Eastern New Mexico, I mean, is is midline a huge concern for y'all with your three techs and those guys being so aggressive? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing is we still try to keep that aggressive uh, mindset to come off the football. Uh, we still, you know, that week we really have to stress on, uh, you know, if this guard goes down, I got to get flat down that line of scrimmage and I'm tackling the first thing I see. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other reason, and I see a lot of defenses do it, and I've seen them be real successful, is they bite back that front up so they don't get chopped. Yeah. Um, you know, we still stay tight on the ball. We're still going to come off the football. And, uh, the biggest thing I always like to tell those guys is, do you want to take that cut on the side where that knee's at, or would you rather take it right there on the thigh pad? Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good point. So we still keep it the same of – we play tight on, tight on it. You know, at that point, we just change our aiming point when that guard goes down or whatever it is uh, of how I got to bend, what I got to tackle at that point. And then uh, once you get out of that Eastern week, you got to get back to uh, normal football after that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. And, and and I'm sure even though you you know you're at a at a at a university that the scout team and getting the scout team to to get it, give you somewhat of a, of a semblance of a good look is a nightmare, just like it is for us uh, when we're facing that type of offense. Oh, it's by far the hardest look you're going to get all year. And uh, I will say, since we've been here, we've been pretty fortunate where we've had guys uh, that have done a good job back there for us. But 
I'm sure we're like everybody else in the country, you know, that week we're taking the football out of the scout team's hands. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just going to run plays. And, yeah. you know, one thing that, that I've started doing is uh, I'll get some of those agile bags and I just throw them down the line of scrimmage or throw them right in front of the linebackers. Uh, just trying to get those guys used to, you know, there's going to be people on the ground. It's going to happen no matter who you're playing in the option because this guy's going to get cut. This O-line is going to be scrambling. So not worrying about what's on that ground, but just being able to feel it and feel something hitting the side of my legs or feel something uh, that's in front of me. And uh, Again, just trying to put those guys in the hardest possible situation that they're going to get that week. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's talk about uh, game week preparation and what that looks for looks like for you. Uh, walk us through what a typical week of preparation looks like for your defensive line. Like, what are you doing in indie, group work, et cetera, things like that? Yeah, so the individual part force, I don't change a whole lot uh, week to week. Um, you know, I like to kind of keep those same drills, and I know those guys get bored with it quite a bit because it's like, hey, we're going to come out, we're going to do get-offs, and then we're going to do sled work and, and hand work. And so our first 15 minutes of individual is going to be pretty much the same from uh, the first practice in August until, you know, whenever that last practice is. Um, then I'll spend a little bit of time working uh, and so mu- not so much drill work, but, hey, this is what we're going to see this week. Uh, this is the type of blocks you're going to get. Um, and then the one thing that I've seen that's been real beneficial, we started doing it our last few years at Carleton was not doing any half-speed drills in, in individuals. So, uh, for me, and I'm sure it's like a lot of other people, you're never going to get that look that you want to from a defensive lineman given a zone block or a reach right. block. And so, you know, our offensive line coach at Tarleton was real good about it, and our offensive line coaches here as well. Um, we'll get over there, and, you know, we'll kind of give them a full-speed look. He'll put us in the front that they want to see, and then we'll give them cards of, of what we want to see, and we'll get that full-speed block. And of those guys now, it's it's real. It's not – Oh, this is, you know, our current D tackle trying to zone me. This is a guard that's, you know, trying to get after me a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. That would kind of, and, and I always count that part of our individual as well. That's not so much um, teamwork for us, that's individual work for uh, the defensive line and the offensive line. Yeah, that is a great idea. If, if you're at a school, you know, if we're talking to high school coaches, you know, if you're at a program where, you know, you do have enough kids to be able to do that, that's a great. Thing to do because both sides benefit. Um, you know, at my previous stop, we did that. We really started doing that a lot the last couple of years I was there, and 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 it really just it just kind of ramps up the competition. Also, when it's the other side of the ball, and you know there is a clear winner and loser. You know, most of the time, and 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 you kind of make that make it a competition thing, and and that definitely ramps up the look because you're right. You never get the look you want out of your JV three. You know, defensive tackle. Um, <laughs> trying to get him to, you know, to base block or, or pass set or whatever. So uh, I think that's a great, uh, a great point. Um, so how do you handle, how do you handle things like, uh, like team and inside drill then with, with, with your, with your uh, program there? Yeah. So for us, anytime we go inside or team, we're going to get good on good looks. Um, whether it's our, you know, second defensive unit going against the first offensive unit or, or vice versa. Um, we always want to try to get good on good looks for at least, you know, for inside, you know, it's going to be a quick whistle for us. It's not going to be go to the ground. Yeah. Um, and then a team, it might be, you know, that first offense is going to get seven of their, our offensive plays. And then they might come back and give us that second group four 
of whoever we're facing that week. And so as much as we can, you know, we're trying to get good on good looks. And again, it's to get that full speed look of uh, whoever we might be playing that week. And, and for us, I, you know, full speed look, now you're not playing half speed. And for that defensive guy or defensive lineman or corner, whoever it is, uh, they're not creating that bad habit of, well, I can, you know, if I'm a corner, I can guard this receiver if he's running half speed. So now that guy starts getting high in his back pedal. Now he's not flipping his hips. And on Saturday, you know, that X receiver might be running a, a 4-4 out there and you get high in that back pedal, you're going to end up on your back. So uh, same thing up front. You know, you stand straight up, you're going to get put on your back pretty quick. So yeah, no doubt. Uh, for us, it's full speed. You know, let's get good reps and then we'll get out of that segment. Um, and, you know, like everybody else, when you get to that scout team, it's, you know, you got to bite your tongue every once in a while because, you know, what kind of look you might get on yeah. uh, a few plays. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So it sounds like, I mean, are, 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 are inside and team both pretty high tempo then? We try to keep them, we try to keep them high tempo uh, as, as much as we can. And, and for us, it's kind of like what you said earlier, it's keeping that energy up in practice. Uh, which, you know, when you start getting into to week eight, week nine, week seven, whatever it is, uh, you might get that, that lull day every once in a while. But, you know, I know if I'm going against whoever the starter is or second team guy, I'm, I'm going to ramp it up at that point and try to try to put on a show. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Are you uh, with, with inside and team? I'm sure both of those are scripted. Uh, you know, sometimes – it can be a little overwhelming, especially when you're trying to figure out what you're going to put on that script, right? You know, because you have just a certain amount of time. There's, you know, maybe a ton of stuff you want to get to. How do you know, like, all right, here's what we're going to include on our inside. Let's just talk about inside specifically. Um, you know, how do you know what to include on that inside script and maybe what to keep out? How do you handle that? Yeah, so the, the biggest thing, and we'll always do probably like a lot of people that at first, you know, padded practice that we're going to get after a little bit is, let's take maybe their, their top five runs and then let's take, you know, however many of them out of each formation. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of times, a lot of offenses will put that one play in there, that game. And now as a defensive staff, you're sitting there trying to figure out how to stop this one play when, you know, there's a 90% chance you're not going to see that one play, but they're trying to get you off of that bulk of what they do. So, uh, you know, we try to do a great job during our breakdowns and staff of uh, taking those top runs, taking those top formations and making sure our guys can see that, that we can stop it as a staff. And uh, myself and the co-DC, we're still, I say old school, and, but still how we were brought up is, you know, I might get that report of everything, but I'm still going to sit there and write down paper and pencil and do the calculations and make sure everything's right. So, again, that our guys are seeing exactly what they need to see that week. Yeah, no doubt. I think that is a great point to remember just to, you know, to, to, to stop there, to set out to stop their bread and butter stuff. You know, there are always, always going to be a couple of wrinkles uh, here and there, but you definitely don't want to get a situation where in a week of preparation, you're chasing ghosts and you're chasing rabbits. And, and, and you know, I, I'm definitely all for the mindset of you got to be pre- prepared for the unexpected and something that they could do and anticipate. But, you know, there's a fine line between doing that and then just running yourself ragged and, and, and driving yourself crazy, uh, you know, running a bunch of stuff and, and your kids just see a, a smattering of bull crap and really right. don't get a good feel for what the offense is going to try to do uh, on game day. And that's, you know, on Thursday, Thursday and Fridays is we'll throw in 
hey, they were in this trick play week one. And so yeah. we'll throw in a couple yeah. of their little wrinkles that we've seen that year. Maybe you go back to a previous year against uh, that they ran against you. And we'll, on Thursdays and Fridays, we'll kind of throw a couple of wrinkle, wrinkles like that in. And I'm sure we're like everybody else in the country at some point. You know, you're going to go into that game and you've shown the kids this all week. And then you get in the game, you haven't, you know, that you got to scrap that game plan and, you know, hey, this is what they're doing to us now. So this is what we get. This is how we're going to have to defend it. Yeah. 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 For us, uh, especially at my previous stop, Wednesday was that day. You know, Wednesday was TF, Wednesday, uh, Tricks and Flukes, Wednesday, where, where you know, everything's on the table, you know, flea flickers, reverses, and all kinds of stuff. And, and that's, I think that's good to have that stuff in there just so those kids are on alert. Uh, they know that it's coming. They know that's a possibility. But again, you know, you, 90% of your time is spent on here's what they want to try to do and here's how we're mm-hmm. going to take it away. Yes, sir. Um, when you're breaking down an offensive line, you know, as a coach, where do you begin with that? And, and how do you begin building a game plan for your guys specifically? Yeah, so for me, you know, I, I'm still in the – with all the passing that you see now, I still believe that, you know, teams that win championships are going to be able to run the ball and stop, uh, stop the run. Uh, so, you know, I always start off by breaking down the runs uh, and getting that kind of set up in a cut up for our guys so they can watch the runs. Uh, after that, I go to the passing game of it. Uh, you know, hey, we're going to see half man, half side this week. We're going to see true man at back's going to be getting out. Uh, you know, screens that go with is that center, you know, he might work away from the back every time they pass the ball, but when he works to that back, uh, you get screen off of it. So, um, that's kind of how I start the game week is starting off with the runs and then moving on to the passes. And, you know, that's kind of what I carry over to the meeting room as well. Um, and then, you know, like any other D-line coach out there, you know, you start looking for those little tendencies that, you know, that right guard's going to get away or that left tackle or whoever it might be. Uh, you start breaking down those little things. And the biggest thing is just trying to get those kids to see what you're seeing. Um, and then trying to relay, relay that to the scout team of, I mean, when we get past, you need to back up a little bit and set light because that's what you're going to see that week. Um, and the more those guys can see it and film and, and in a scout team segment, when you get to Saturday, hopefully now they're not thinking about it. They just see it, and now they can get off and go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's talk about what these last few months have been like for you, and, and I don't want to belabor this point because I think it's, you know, talking about the coronavirus, everybody's tired of talking about it and hearing about it. So that's the last time I'm going to even say those words, okay? <laughs> um, but just talk about what it's been like trying to recruit players, trying to evaluate players, trying to stay in touch with your own players. You know, I know what it's been like for me as a high school coach has been tough, but I'm not trying to to recruit kids still. You know, I'm not, there's, there's not, I'm not trying to stay in touch with all these high school kids and high school coaches from all over the state. What's that been like? Yeah, so the the what we when everything happened, the first thing we started doing is how are we going to keep our own players? Because um, you know you're dealing now with like you guys are doing with fourteen to you know nineteen at the oldest. We're dealing with that eighteen to twenty three range, and there's not a whole lot different in them. And yeah. so yeah. you know one is is having those Zoom meetings and and keeping up on their homework, making sure that you know they're turning in work and uh, they have a laptop or they're getting, you know, tutoring. Uh, we were fortunate enough that our school is offering online tutoring. Um, one thing I did as a, as a defensive, line go, uh, defensive line coach with our position group is I would do Tell the Truth Thursday. 
and for that we were on a zoom meeting and i had all those guys send me their grades and we sat there and talked about you know where each person was at uh that week and so uh the biggest thing and, and i always try to build with those guys is um you gotta start tight on our group up front and then let that spread throughout the defense and the team and so um you know if someone was struggling that week you know i might tell someone outside of that meeting hey you need to pick this guy up uh and you know we we put a theme to that tell the truth thursday every week uh what we might do favorite nfl player favorite wrestler and uh, I joined into it and dressed up with those guys. Uh-huh. Uh, tried to, you know, biggest thing was just keeping those guys engaged uh, while they were away, just like everybody else. So uh, just try to find ways that we could keep our own guys engaged and uh, finish up strong academically. Uh, and then, you know, with the recruiting part, uh, just like everybody else has seen on Twitter, we did the virtual recruiting. Um, the one thing that uh, Coach Kerrigan, our head coach, wanted to do was have uh, each position coach for, I think we did it for three weeks, uh, put a video of who they were, uh, where they were going to be at recruiting that week and kind of focusing uh, their attention and then just give a little bit of a technique, uh, you know, tidbit of, hey, this, you know, if I'm playing defense line, we got to get into a great stance first. Uh, I think the next week I did a pass rush deal and then uh, the last week was uh, just what we're looking for in that defense line. Well, yeah, that, I think that's a great idea, and I love the uh, I love the tell the truth Thursday. I'm definitely gonna have to steal that because um, I think, like you said, it keeps those kids engaged. But man, it also I think it allows those guys to see you as a human, and just kind of cuts through the, the 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 bull crap that you know sometimes you know kids tell you what they what they think you want to hear, and you know, and and uh, I, I think that's a that's a great uh, idea, and I love the. The idea of making the videos and putting those out so kids can kind of, you know, all those, because they're because they're not seeing you in their schools and you're not coming by, they're still able to get a feel for you and who you are as a person, as a coach. I think that's a great idea. So you were there when when um, you know your, your the program there at, at uh, University of Texas Permian Basin started football. Talk about the challenge that you faced when beginning the program there and, and what it took to get that program off the ground. Yeah. So. Uh... Coach Karen got hired, I believe, either late December or early January. It was right before the convention, I think he got hired. And so at that point, he went, he hadn't put together his staff yet. He had kind of talked to myself and uh, Jacob Martin, our co-DC, about coming out with them. Uh, so we finally got out there with them the Friday before signing day. Uh, had some kids on campus and pretty much brought him out to campus and hey, we don't have anything to show you as far as uh, uniforms, highlight video, uh, none of that stuff. And so uh, myself and Coach Kerrigan and Coach Martin had just had our campus tour probably the day before. And so the next day we're out there trying to get the campus tour on a campus that had changed since I grew up out here. And none of us really had any any idea about. Um, Really the only thing we knew is, you know, hey, UT Permian Basin has great academics and Rattler Stadium. Let's start there and then let's start building off of that. So uh, the first few months was, you know, kind of crazy and not having any any players on campus and you're having tryouts for, you know, we did a UT, uh, UT Permian Basin student tryout. If you're enrolled in school here, come try out. And I like to compare it to uh, the movie with the Philadelphia Eagles. 
when they had that trial and you just had yeah yeah guys showing up that you know probably haven't played football ever and some of them have played football in probably four or five years so uh that part of it was was different um did you get any you know, players but, from that trial i'm just curious uh you know what we signed he ended up being a starting run back for us three three years we didn't sign him but he came to that that first trial and uh I think we had a starting offensive lineman that came out of that trial. Wow. Wow. Huh. Interesting. So it was, uh, you know, probably one of the, that spring was one of the funnest years that we had because, you know, we got to pick everything out from uniforms to, you know, whatever it was. Um, But the one thing that we found out is, you know, the road that we were going to have ahead of us was going to be a lot tougher than, uh, just trying to get players on campus, and uh, you know that first year was a we always like to say it was a honeymoon because in 2016 when we rolled down to that field, it you know we got humbled a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, fast forward now, mm-hmm. um, you know you just wrapped up the 2019 season. Talk about the state of the program now. Yeah, so you know since we started, we're gonna we're gonna finish up. I believe it's a 36 million dollar. Uh, kinesiology athletic facility uh, that will finish up in July. Uh, it's going to have a 150-seat team meeting room. It's going to have, a, I think there's going to be 122 lockers in there. It's going to have a, a brand-new weight room in it. It's going to have a brand-new training room. And then the other half of the building would be a, a kinesiology building. So uh, starting off, well, we as coaches were first up in a racquetball court, and that's where we did meetings at, staff meetings, whatever it was. Uh, our players having to dress their very first practice in a shoebox in a stool uh, to now getting ready to go into a $36 million facility is uh, unbelievable. You know, we've, we've been fortunate to have uh, some all-conference players while we've been here. We've had a uh, freshman of the year that played defensive end for us. That was freshman uh, all-conference and freshman of the year in the conference. Uh, we've had a two-time linebacker of the year in the conference and a two-time All-American. And finished as the, I believe, the leader in NCAA Division II uh, tackles. Wow. Wow. Well, I know you guys are excited about what you have going on uh, over there uh, in Odessa. And, and um, it is, it's, it's a great, it's, it's just a great story how you got that program started from the ground up and, and uh, it's ga- you know, gaining some traction there. So uh, I know you guys are definitely looking forward to this next season. So we want to close out today, Coach, with uh, our rapid fire segment. This is where I'm going to. I'm going to throw out a couple words to you. Here we go. We're going to start off, and we could cover anything from football to, to food, and, and, and we've got a wide array of topics here, so we'll jump into it. Two, two of my favorite things there, football and food. There you go. There you go. Well, I, you know, I think with, with talking with defensive line guys, that you're pretty safe in both of those categories. So, all right, here we go. First one, uh, and, and I kind of already know the answer to this one because we've talked about it a lot, but when it comes to your defensive lineman, uh, head up or shades? Uh, love playing the shade. Now, Mexican food, it, there's, it's, it's Tex-Mex especially is, is renowned, or, or the state of Texas, from East Texas to West Texas, North Texas, all over the state. Uh, so here's two Tex-Mex staples that I want you to choose from between fajitas or enchiladas. I'll, I'll go a step further. Uh, Avilas, fajitas, and El Paso is the best. Well, so, so talk about those. Are those, are those beef fajitas, chicken, yeah, mig- yeah, what, what is beef, it? Beef fajitas for sure. Okay, all right. Awesome. Awesome. Now, we've talked about these guys uh, a little bit already, but you know, you're a Permian guy. So, who is the the biggest or the the bigger 
Permian legend, Roy Williams or Brett Hager? Now, Brett Hager, for those of you who don't know, uh, was a linebacker, right? Played at University of Texas. Is that right? Is that University correct? of Texas, and I believe he played for the Eagles after that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I was looked up his Wikipedia profile right before this conversation, <laughs> so I think that's correct. All right, but biggest Permian legend, Roy Williams or Brett Hager? Uh, I, I, I played with him, so I'm going to have to go with uh, Roy Williams. You know, you're not going to get any pushback from me on that because, um, you know, growing up as a Texas fan, you know, was a big fan of Roy Williams, and when he came to the Cowboys, I just knew that that was going to mean Super Bowls for uh, for the Cowboys, and, and, and obviously it didn't. But, but anyway, okay, uh, when you're coaching up pass rush with your guys, spin or no spin? Depends who it is. Okay, all right, hedging a little I, bit, but I got you. Well, I, you know, I, I don't mind a, a guy that is able to spin, yeah, uh, but I don't like getting those guys that you sit there and it's just a top just spinning. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I will say probably no spin more more times than not. I got you. I got you. Okay. Pre-game routine for you: music or no music? I gotta have music. All right. Well, what's just just curious? What's on the Coach Minio pre-game playlist? Can you give us a little sampling of that? Yeah, so it's probably similar to when I was in college. I always have a little bit of Metallica on there. Okay. Uh, All right. I'm a big, you know, classic rock to, to 80s rock, early 90s rock person. Uh, and then I still like the, the early 90s hip-hop stuff. So you're going to have some a, a little combination of that on there. Have you got any of your, your, your D-line guys turned on to that stuff, or are they, 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 they not, they're not having it? No, they're not having yeah. it. So, <laughs> some, so every once in a while you'll get someone that likes the uh, Metallic Inner Sandman, yeah. but it's good yeah. they've seen it on uh, – Coming out of Lane Stadium. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Okay. Uh, playing surface, turf or grass? I'll say a good grass field. Nothing beats a good grass field. All right. Now, when you were playing, go back to your playing days, uh, gloves or no gloves as a defensive lineman? Uh, unfortunately, I would say I, I had gloves on. Hey, I, look, there's no shame in that. I, I, I would, I mean, look, why, like, why? Why subject your hands to getting, I mean, you're going to get your fingers right. smashed. Like, why not wear a glove? You know, I didn't like the ones with the pads all over them. I kind of felt like those were a little, that was a little much. But, no, I'm definitely with you on the gloves. Okay, everybody's been able to catch up on their shows over this quarantine. And so I know you and I talked about this a little bit beforehand. But I want to hear uh, what's your, your favorite series that you've, that you've been able to watch uh, on this quarantine between Money Heist or Narcos? The two really good ones. Uh, I'll, ooh, I think I'll have to go with the Narcos series. Okay. Uh, All right. Over the money heist. Okay. All right. Now, this is the, the most controversial question that, that I have here, and it, it could get you in a little bit of a hot water. So, uh, But I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. Okay. All right. More athletes. West Texas or East Texas? You're a West Texas guy. I'm an East Texas guy. You're coaching in West Texas. I'm coaching in East Texas. What you got? More athletes. Who, who, who has them? I'm going to have to uh, have to plead the fifth on that one. I'll say the whole state <laughs> whole state has athletes. So for, uh, for my coaches over there in uh, East Texas, I'll, I'll have to give them the, the Beast Texas because uh, we've got a few of those guys on the team. But, uh, you know, I think West Texas can, you know, match up with those guys at, at any position. So uh, I'll have to plead the fifth on that one to save, save both areas. But uh, love love recruiting, you know, all the way out to uh, Marshall, Tyler, and all that area. And, 
uh, and again, again, to go back to El Paso. So love both areas. Well, and and you're welcome in Texarkana anytime you're over in the area too, Coach. We got we got a couple guys that that can play also. So you know, look, I understand your recruiting coordinator. I, I'm I'm okay with you hedging on that one. I didn't really expect you to answer that, but I just wanted to see if I could <laughs> rattle you a little bit. Okay, uh, we talked about you guys. You're, you're an attack front, okay, and I'm sure that that you're you're. You know, like if you're like me, you're, you're you're always yelling stuff at your guys. You know, right before the ball snapped, and and trying to you know yell out little reminders and things like that. Okay, so here's the scenario: it's third and short in the fourth quarter with time running out. You're on defense. What are you most likely to yell out to your defensive line? Is it "Watch the ball" or "Be ready for the fill in the blank"? Whatever kind of play that you're expecting. So, watch the ball or be ready for the quarterback sneak zone, whatever. Well, luckily, I'm up in the box, so whatever I'm yelling, <laughs> they're not hearing. Uh, I will, I will say, if I was on the field, and this is something I got, uh, I got from Mike Price, who coached quarterbacks at UTEP, is he would always say he would, you know, he'd always tell uh, whoever the quarterbacks coach was or, or whatever it was, don't tell this quarterback not to throw an interception this series because that's the last thing he's going to think about. That's exactly right. The field. So. Um, you know, I don't like to say watch the ball a lot because I hope those guys have, have prepped it that week to where we don't have to worry yeah. about it. But yeah. uh, we'll say I'll probably be a lot more likely to say, you know, whatever the play is that those guys run in that situation that week. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm with you on that. You know, I, 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 I can't stand it when, when – because I don't say this, but usually kids will be around me and they'll say, hey, let's go, D-line, don't jump off sides. You know, like, dude, shut up. Because – you're exactly right. That's the last thing they're going to think about before the ball set. Don't jump off sides. I usually just say like something like hard count. I'll just say that. Hey, hard count here. You know, good, good hard count down, something like that. Um, trying not to beat them over the head with it. But just, you know, just, hey, there's an understanding there, you guys, hard count. You know, and usually I just make a motion with my hand, and that's what that hand means. Like, you know, my hand going back and forth like they're snapping the ball. Uh, but I'm with you. You definitely don't want to go with the don't jump off sides because you can pretty much guarantee they're going to at that point. Okay, uh, last one right here, and this is a big one, okay? Uh, being a, a Permian guy, who would you rather beat, the Odessa Broncos or Midland Lee Rebels? You yeah, got the Crosstown rival or you got the you know, Odessa Midland? Uh, you know, if, if I could go back right now, I would say I'd have to say to beat the the Lee Rebels because I never had the opportunity to do it while Cedric Benson was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was always good to be able to play at Riley Stadium with twenty plus thousand people there when you're playing Odessa High. And I will say, fortunately, I was able to beat three and zero against those guys, and I was zero and three against Lee. So. All right. Well, that's that's fair enough, and and I don't think anyone's going to fault you for for. You know, not be able to get a game on on Cedric Benson because not many people got got one on him. So, uh, well, Coach Minio, really enjoyed uh, talking with you today, uh, and just want to appreciate you taking some time to to sit down with us and and share some of your knowledge with us. Yes, sir, and no, I appreciate you uh, uh, having me on, especially some of the guys I've heard the last uh, few weeks with uh, Oscar Giles and, and Ruffin McNeil. Just to to be able to get on a podcast with guys like that is. Uh, you know, very humbling for me. So, uh, no, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much to Coach Minio for talking with us today. I had a lot of fun talking with him. and loved what he had to say about coaching up 
fundamentals and, and spending a lot of time on things like get off and, and sled work and, and things like that. You know, he also said that a defensive lineman's hands and feet will get them in trouble, which is why you have to spend so much time repping drills that, that hone those skills. And I think those are sometimes little things that can seem sort of insignificant to us, but that are really the foundation of sound. Uh, outstanding defensive line play. Anyway, make sure you give Coach Minio a follow on Twitter. He's at Coach Chris Minio. That's M-I-N-E-O is how you spell his last name. And let him know you heard him here on KYPD. You can find the rest of his contact information in the show notes of this episode. Give us a follow on Twitter as well, at KYPD Podcast. And while you're hanging out this weekend around the grill, Give us a review and help other coaches find our podcast. And also give us a five-star rating if you're liking what you're hearing on the show. Our quote of the day keeps in line with the Odessa theme we have going on today, and it comes from H.G. Bissinger's book, Friday Night Lights. Let each of you discover where your chance for greatness lies. Seize that chance and let no power on earth deter you. And that will do it for this episode of KYPD. Join us next week for episode number 62. We'll be coming at you from the beach in Florida, which can only mean one thing. That's right. Next week will be our first installment of KYPD Beach Sessions. And we have a great guest lined up that I'm really excited for you to hear from. Anyway, until then, have a great Memorial Day. Make sure to do yourself a favor. Throw some brats on the grill and thank me later. And until next week, keep that smoke up. And Coach Minio, tell them what else they better do. Keep your pads down.